The Art of Hiding by J. M. Orbit. Spanish soldiers. You idiot? Nan Elliot thought she heard the strange soldier say in a heavy foreign accent as she took a first step onto the driveway of her home. Nan was not a Nan as in grandmother. She was a 12-year-old girl returning from school whose full name was Hannah Elliot. But only teachers and certain family members called her that. Some called her Anna, which she did not mind. Her father occasionally called her Hannah Mana, which he found hysterical. Her twin brother Tristan called her almost anything that drifted into his head, but most called her Nan. You idiot? She thought the soldier repeated. Nan looked back at the soldier blankly, presuming that it was not a deliberate insult because it was phrased as a question. On seeing that she had no idea what he was saying, the old soldier frowned and looked past her, trying to recall the correct words. The soldier looked as if he slept in his grubby uniform. Seeds and twigs were trapped in his greying beard while the elements had weathered his skin to the colour and texture of golden leather. You, he began again, pointing at Nan, to be sure there was no mistake. You, Eliot, 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 she ventured. Si, si, uh, yes, you, uh, Eliot. No. Nan replied, deciding it was unwise to tell an armed man her identity until she knew exactly what he was doing loitering outside her home. There were four soldiers together. The other three were huddled beside a tall tent they had pitched up in the Elliot's small square of a lawn that was surrounded by tall hedges. All of the soldiers had beards and were wearing such bizarre clothes it left the impression they'd lost a dare or a bet. Their boots were fairly plain, but then there were the rumpled leggings running up to just above the knee. From the knee upwards, there were long shorts that ballooned out, so it appeared as if the men had hollowed out a couple of large marrows and stuck their legs through them as far as they would go. Metal breastplates glinted under their cloaks, and all of them wore tin helmets, one of them with a bedraggled white plume sticking out of the helm. What was most alarming about these strange men, and marked them as soldiers, were the swords dangling by their sides, as well as the daggers tucked into their belts. Who had Tristan, her twin brother, upset this time, Nan thought to herself. Francesco, Francesco, the old soldier called out, addressing the man with the feather in his helmet. The other three soldiers turned towards their older companion, who jerked a thumb towards Nan, and then shook his head, muttering something in a lisping foreign language, which she guessed to mean, this girl's not one of them. After a moment, he continued, Elioth here? Who are you? Nan asked. Uh, we, uh, the brother Petharo, the old soldier said proudly. Petharo? Is that Italian? Spanish? Espanol, espanol, he declared, and then uttered what Nan took to be a stream of curses at being mistaken for anything other than the Spaniard. We, conquistadors, conquistar, 
Oh, how you say? Conquer, yes? Yes. Have you gold? He asked. No, Nan replied. Why do you want the Elliots? For gold? Pardon? Uh, please? The old soldier replied, asking Nan to repeat herself whilst fiddling with one of the tangles in his matted beard. Why do you... Nan pointed at all four soldiers in turn. Want the Elliots? She pointed at her house. The old soldier smiled and then passed a finger across his throat. Nan was left in no doubt that the Conquistadors intended to kill her family. She tried not to show it, but Nan's legs almost gave way beneath her with fear and her entire insides felt as if they'd been hollowed out in an instant. Hernando! Eh! Hernando! called out the soldier with the plume. The old soldier turned around to see the leader wave his hand in a dismissive way, meaning, get rid of her, just let her go. Nan strode up to her front door with false confidence and then rummaged around in her school bag for anything she could post through the letterbox. She had no cause to post anything, of course, but the soldiers were eyeing her suspiciously and would want to see she had a reason for setting foot on the driveway. Hurrying away from the front garden, Nan waited until the conquistadors were out of sight and then ducked into an alleyway which led to a muddy path, taking her all the way to the Elliot's back garden. Nan stopped for a few moments until her heart rate slowed down. However, she knew that she had to get home quickly to call for help. If her parents returned home from work or Tristan marched up the driveway, the Pytharo brothers would draw swords on them before Nan could even pull out a water pistol. There was an eerie stillness to the house. Nan waited several moments before moving from the spot to which she was rooted in the kitchen. When she did peer out of the window in the front porch, there was nothing out of the ordinary to see. The Pytharo brothers, their tent and any trace of them had vanished. Mustering all her courage, Nan rushed back outside into the front garden. But no ambush awaited her. It was as if the whole episode with the Conquistadors had never happened. Only then did she notice her father's car was in the driveway. It had been there all the time, of course, but the Pytharo brothers, if they'd ever existed, Nan was beginning to tell herself, had kept her occupied. If her father's car was in the driveway at this time of day, surely it could mean only one thing. He had lost another job. She had not spotted that the curtains were drawn in the front room either, a sure sign that another melancholy mood had taken hold of her father. Nan stood outside the front door with a sense of dread. She wondered whether it was a good or a bad thing that her mother would be home from work for another couple of hours. Pushing open the front door, Nan spotted a large photograph, or possibly an oversized postcard, lying a little distance down the hallway, next to the maths homework she'd just posted through the letterbox. It was rough to the touch, and even though there was no address and no stamp, Nan guessed it to be from her Uncle Adrian. Only he posted letters with no addresses and no stamps, that somehow always managed to find their way to the correct destination, even though he lived in Wanish Limpley, which she believed to be hundreds of miles away. People were scared of Adrian Elliot because he attracted the bizarre and the peculiar like a magnet. On the other side of the postcard was a photograph of Nan and her mother, clearly taken when Adrian had come to visit three years ago. Nan had just turned nine when the picture was taken and had grown up a lot since then. She hardly recognised herself or the sneering expression she made towards the camera. The photo was a nice gesture, however, and she was pleased to receive it. That said, she was less pleased to receive the news written in the scrawl on the back, proclaiming, Adrian's on his way. Nan sighed. 
took one last look around the garden for any mad Spanish soldiers and prepared to face her father, tucking the picture into her threadbare shirt pocket and then shuddering at the thought of what was to come. When Nan walked into the front room, it was so dark that her eyes took a moment to adjust. A slither of light peeped through the drawn curtains and seemed to spotlight the motes of dust swarming around in a lazy haze as if unsure where they should be going. Her father was lying on the sofa in his trousers and vest, his penny whistle lying to one side, while Hartley, Nan's baby brother, slept peacefully on his chest. It was a sweet moment, and Nan stayed in the doorway, cherishing the image for as long as possible. Russell Elliot remained unaware of her until she made a movement. Hello, Nan, love, he whispered, smiling a wounded smile. Good day. Usual, she said in a dismissive way. You? Usual, he replied, but they understood each other. Everyone she'd met except Mrs Elliot's family, the Drews, said that Nan most resembled her father, and not only in looks. They both shared heads of full dark hair, grey-green eyes, and both were on the smaller side of average in height and weight. Yet their smiles and laughter were larger than most. Russell Elliot also had a face which, try as he might to disguise them, exposed his thoughts and feelings like glasses. Nan read her father's face better than anyone. Did you hear anything outside just a moment ago, Dad? asked Nan. No, love, he answered, but I have been dozing. Why? Was it your mother? No, it was probably nothing. Giving her father a squeeze of the hand for reassurance, she gently lifted her sleeping brother off her father's chest and carried Hartley upstairs. Russell Elliot smiled back gratefully and turned his face towards the couch and started playing the penny whistle softly. Fortunately, Hartley was good at sleep, both her brothers were, and the toddler did not wake up as he was placed in his cot, but murmured a little protest before embracing his blanket. Nan settled him down and looked towards the clock. Her mother would return from work soon, and Tristan would be back from the rugby practice even sooner. Nan imagined Tristan coming home, dumping his kit, boots and sopping towel all over the house, cutting himself a dry piece of bread the size of a brick, scattering the crumbs everywhere, slouching down on the sofa and turning on the television. It might be an hour into picking at his scabs before he even noticed that his father was home early and lying in a state of depression beside him. Then their mother would come in, guess what had happened and want to speak to her husband alone. Well, certainly without Tristan as an audience. Nan realised she had to speak to her twin brother before he entered the house and so she decided to keep watch through the window. Ten minutes into her vigil, Nan leant out of the open window and scanned the street. Nothing. No sign of either mother or brother, nor any sign of the Conquistadors camp, which by now Nan was beginning to believe had been some ridiculous daydream. A cold late January night was rapidly drawing in, but to make certain she did not miss the sound of her brother's footsteps, Nan kept the window open and wrapped another blanket around Hartley. While waiting for Tristan, Nan found her eyes were constantly drawn to the tall painting on the landing outside the bedroom door. The painting was one of Uncle Adrian's pictures, and something about it both alarmed and annoyed her today. The picture was of the inside of a cottage, a room of thick stone walls and low timber beams. Well painted, but not particularly well composed, Nan kept finding herself wondering what lay beyond the scene it depicted. It suddenly dawned on her that, apart from Harley's enthusiastic efforts with crayon, as well as a couple of her own creation, almost every picture hanging in the house was Uncle Adrian's work. 
and something about that fact irritated Nan. There was no doubt about it, Adrian was a fine painter with an excellent eye for detail and perspective, but it must have been the thought of his visit that made Nan thoroughly dislike his pictures today. At the moment, even her favourite painting by the front door of a cosy stone house perched on the top of grassy cliffs, overlooking a calm evening sea, bothered her with its lack of imagination. Remembering the photograph Adrian had sent that day, Nan took out the picture and tried to recall why she'd been looking so scornfully at the camera. It was not that Nan in the photo was grimacing, she was smiling, but it was a twisted, unnerving smile. And for some reason this annoyed her too, as did the fact that there was a little circular red blemish that looked fractured or spiked or webbed in the bottom corner of the picture, which, try as she might, could not be removed from the strangely rough-textured photo. Hartley sighed in his sleep, and Nan suddenly felt the urge to pinch his toes just to hear him cry. She was immediately appalled with herself and excused the strange, outrageous thought as a result of the trying day. She looked out of the open window again, and there was still no sign of her brother. The sounds of hundred voices screeching at each other made Nan look up at the starlings perching on the telephone wires like the musical notes on his score. She found herself amused by the discovery that one group of starlings appeared to spell out the word he. The smile faded from her face, however, when she saw that the word was not he, but the phrase, help us. The P and S were not clearly defined, but it certainly could not be mistaken for any other phrase. It was a mere coincidence, of course, yet Nan found it disturbing and looked away. When she looked back again, it was worse. The birds had formed the word hunted. Nan stood open-mouthed for a moment before emitting a yell, causing the flocks of starlings to fly off in a flurry of feathers and startled screeches. She shuddered in the cold evening air and rubbed her eyes. The musical score was blank now. There were no more messages. It must have been a dream like the Pithari brothers, or maybe it's simply that I'm going mad, Nan said out loud, comforted by the sound of her own voice. I have to stay awake. But Nan's thoughts kept wandering and wandering. The sudden fatigue took hold of her. Help us. Help us indeed. What are we going to live on now? A voice rang in her head, and Nan's thoughts immediately turned to her father. Russell Elliot was not a lucky man, although he always said his family made him luckier than anyone else he knew. With no obvious trades or skills to fall back on, Russell Elliot had been trawling through a series of jobs ever since Nan and her twin brother Tristan had been born. At one point, three years previously, he had three jobs on the go at the same time. The three jobs, combined with his wife's work, brought in enough money for the family, but at the expense of the parents' relationship and his health. Nan peered down at the postcard and read the inscription once again. Adrian is on his way. How did he know Russell was having a crisis again? Three years ago, her father had become so run down with working all hours that he'd been rushed to hospital and had nearly died. Adrian had miraculously turned up at that time too, late and at the point when it was touch and go whether Russell would last the night. But he had arrived. Adrian Elliot was Russell's brother, of course, and naturally would want to visit him if he was ill. But no one had managed to contact Adrian, and yet he'd arrived. How? Nan wondered. Uncle Adrian did seem to possess a knack of turning up at critical moments in their lives. It was uncanny, a supernatural ability. No, you're being stupid, Nan told herself. The whole idea is stupid. Uncle Norbert tells him everything. 
Everyone knows your imagination runs wild, Nan, which must be the reason for the vision of the conquistadors. But still Nan wondered and wondered and wondered. Soon she was caught up in a dream about a two-dimensional world where people just sprang out of surfaces like pop-up book characters. Adrian was emerging from one of the walls of her room. Nan was trying to push him back by thumping him and then kicking him. And then she picked up a bat and thwacked him with that until... Crash! Nan was awoken by the sound of smashing glass. A rugby ball hurtled through the room, colliding with the back wall before crumpling to the ground in a punctured mess. The window outside her had shattered and outside in the driveway stood a muddied and bloodied Tristan. His hands clumped over his mouth as he realised what he'd done. There was no noise, no bellowing from downstairs, so Nan beckoned Tristan to come up. Hartley stirred and reached out for a shard of glass that had landed in his cot. Nan quickly removed the shard, picked up Hartley, checked him over for any shattered fragments of glass and waited for her twin brother who was shinning up the drainpipe. Sorry, 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 apologised Tristan as he appeared in the window. Sorry being a key word in Tristan's vocabulary. I saw you asleep in the open window and I couldn't resist trying to wake you. Well, it worked. I'm awake. Yeah, but I was aiming at your head, not that window, he said, with more disappointment about his lack of accuracy than his sister's safety. He lifted up the now stiff piece of weathered leather. And my ball's gone all tragic now. Where have you been? Nan asked. What kept you? Terence Ellis. I was at rugby practice and completely forgot I was supposed to be in detention for accidentally breaking his nose during a history lesson. But he found me. How do you accidentally break a teacher's nose? Especially in a history lesson. Well, when you're using a hockey stick to demonstrate how the executioner would have cut off Anne Boleyn's head. Tristan answered matter-of-factly, as if the explanation was obvious and one frequently used by everybody. Anyway, I hardly touched him. You broke his nose. Yeah, but the man's a wimp. There was no need for tears, was there? Where Nan took after her father, Tristan had inherited his mother's height and broadness of shoulder. Where Nan and her father had the bodies of distance runners, Tristan was built for contact sport. He was tough, solid, and at any time could boast more scars, bruises and scabs than an entire army battalion in combat. His boisterous manner often got him into trouble. It was not that Tristan meant to harm anyone, but he appeared to have a gift for it, and though wary of him, few people disliked Tristan. The school had decided to channel his energies into sport, at which he'd proved to be a natural. The more violent, the better. Rugby, or rather Tristan's riotous form of it, was his favourite. Tristan took out a damp towel from his sports bag, placed it over his head, and entertained Hartley by playing peekaboo with a toddler. Hartley let out yelps of delight each time his brother appeared and disappeared, and Nan was loath to spoil their playtime with the news of their father. She'd also found herself reluctant to speak about the incident with the conquistadors for fear of being laughed at. And so, once more, Nan reached for the recently received photograph and decided to spoil Tristan's day with a different sort of news. Uncle Adrian's coming to stay. Ah, oh, no! he exclaimed, his voice muffled beneath the wet towel. The bulge of his head turned her way. That guy's a loon. You sure you're not winding me up? I did apologise for the window. He sent this, said Nan, offering the photograph to her brother. Tristan slid the towel off his own head and put it over Hartley's instead. The little toddler squealed with pleasure as he began trying to find his way out of the wet material. Didn't send one of Emma and me, then, he said. 
after studying the picture of Nan and his mother. He always preferred you because you took after the Russell side of the family. Don't bother me. You're welcome to the fruitcake. He is a little odd, isn't he? No, Nanny. He's a big odd, a gigantic odd, a seismic odd. Other odds avoid him because they find his oddness too odd. Tristan looked up at Adrian's picture on the landing wall. He can paint, though. I'll give him that. He's not that good, Nan suddenly found herself saying. What? You've always loved his stuff. Try to copy it. We look at your expression in this photo. <laughs> you look like you could kill. Tristan laughed his harsh, raucous laugh and Hartley, not wanting to be left out, joined in. For the second time that evening, violence welled up in Nan and she felt the need to strike her brother's hand. The feeling rose within her as if she was going to be sick and before she knew it, her hand lunged out towards Tristan. Nan only just managed to divert her blow into the wall at the last moment. Tristan immediately fell silent and Hartley followed. Sorry, she found herself saying to her brother, who was normally the arch-apologiser. Well, I don't know what came over me. Nan was known by everyone to be the most balanced member of the family, and so for Tristan, who'd been forced to dodge a fair amount of punches in his time, it was a genuine shock to see his sister react so aggressively. As Nan stood rubbing her sore knuckles, Tristan eyed her with concern. Hartley sensed that playtime had finished and looked from brother to sister, but could not detect an inviting expression from either of them. When's Adrian coming? Tristan eventually asked. Read the back, Nan said. Tristan turned the photograph over. Adrian's on his way? <laughs> Great. Why can't he communicate like normal people? He returned the pitch to her. Got any more bad news? Hmm. I think Dad's lost another job. Tristan paused. I wasn't expecting an answer to that question. A second pause. What happened? Don't know. Dad was here when I got back from school. I think the melancholy's upon him. I'll go and talk to him. No, don't, Trist. Let Mum and Dad have a talk alone first, Nan pleaded. Isn't she back yet? Tristan asked. Of course not. You've only just got home. Yeah, but I've had a rugby practice, a detention, and I had a kickabout with the boys in the park until it was too dark. Emma should have been back an hour before me. Nan glanced at her clock. Tristan was right. It was nearly seven, though Mother normally arrived home from work just after six. Nan must have dozed for longer than she'd imagined. They pretended to Hartley that they were playing some type of secretive game as Nan and Tristan took their little brother's hands and all three went to the top of the stairs. The twins listened intently. Hartley listened intently, but they could hear neither father nor mother. Tristan put his finger to his mouth and made a shh noise in front of Hartley. Hartley copied his older brother and proceeded to cover Tristan with spit, but at least he was fairly quiet doing it. The three then headed downstairs as quietly as possible, taking care to avoid stepping on the creaking stair seven steps up from the hallway. None of the ground floor lights were on. Everything downstairs seemed dark and gloomy. Hartley occasionally emitted little squeals of excitement, and, in truth, even the twins were beginning to find the whole thing a little intriguing. Surely they would hear the sounds of their parents in discussion or argument in the front room as they had so many times before. When they opened the door to the front room, however... The sofa, which Russell Elliot had been lying upon, was deserted. No one was there. It was only as they were making their way to the back of the house that they suddenly heard a voice from the kitchen call out, What are you three up to? Hartley was delighted that the game was over and rushed towards his father, who was sitting in the dark at the kitchen table. 
As Nan turned on the light, she noticed her father wince in the glare and put down a piece of paper to pick up the babbling toddler. What was all that crashing I heard? Their father asked, trying to avoid squinting at Tristan exclusively. Tristan glanced at Nan and prepared to face the music. It was hardly as if this was his first time in trouble, but before he had a chance to say anything, Nan suddenly piped up. It was me. Smashed a window. Sorry, Dad, she replied. Strangely, their father did not seem astonished, but he also did not seem to be listening. He just nodded, and unable to return his children's stares, went back to gazing at the piece of paper in front of him. After a long moment's silence, he spoke again in a very soft tone. I was made redundant today. I've lost my job. Both of the twins had been expecting it, but somehow the proof of Nan's suspicions was still shocking to hear, and she was unable to offer her father any words of comfort. Does Emma know? Tristan eventually asked. Dad, where is Mum? added Nan. Their father flinched, swallowed hard, rubbed his forehead and then addressed them both. Your mother's not coming back home. She, uh, she needs some time away. Not from you, you understand, but from me. There was a pause before Tristan and Nan nodded. After not having been able to meet their gaze at all, their father suddenly stared hard at his children, like a guilty man willing them to condemn him. But he could not read his children's faces as well as they could read his. He kept on tickling Hartley, whose gurgles of pleasure seemed so out of place now. Mum wanted both of you to read this, he said, handing them a letter he'd been holding. I'll bath Hartley and put him to bed, and I'll sort out the window. Tristan read the letter first which only allowed Nan time to dwell on the shock. The arguments between their parents had been increasing lately. Their mother had begun to look worn and weakened, as if she'd been carrying some great but invisible burden. Nan pictured the scene in her head. Her father must have received the news and phoned his wife at work. She'd collected Hartley from the nursery and come home. There must have been something like an argument, or maybe worse, a quiet, reasonable discussion. And then at some point their mother had decided that enough was enough. But enough was enough of what? Enough of the family? Enough of them? Tristan finished reading the letter and passed it to his sister. Suddenly reluctant to read the words, Nan looked over her mother's neat handwriting and the tidy way it was laid out on the page. She wondered why it all looked so planned and calculated. Nan realised she was being hard on her mother, without giving her a chance to explain herself, and read on. Dear Nan and Trist, I'm so sorry to have to leave, but I hope that when I see you both I can make you understand just why I had to go. Please do not think I've left because of you, and please do not think I will step out of your lives forever. The very thought of that terrifies me. Look at this as a holiday from me, a break from me nagging at you to clear up after yourself, Tristan. Time for you to do your art, Nan, without me constantly interrupting you. You can come to see me here in Botcher Street at any moment of the day or night. Love forever and for always, Mum. When Nan looked up from the letter, Tristan was staring at her. He was not crying, but his eyes were staring out through a moist film, and he was not ashamed of showing it. Can I have a look at the photo Adrian sent you today, please? he asked. Nan gave her brother the picture, which he studied closely, running his fingers over the image of their mother. I already miss her, he uttered, handing the photograph back to his sister. Then Tristan proceeded to raid the fridge. Nan could not help but gaze at the picture too. 
Their mother looked so happy in the scene. There were pictures all around the house of Emma Elliot with her children, and she always appeared happy, whether it was one of Tristan looming large in the camera lens, grinning from ear to ear with their mother laughing behind him, or the photograph of her blowing a raspberry on baby Hartley's chuckling cheek. Then there was the picture of Nan and her mother in an ear-crushing embrace, not forgetting this new one from Adrian. There are very few pictures of her mother and father together, she suddenly recalled. Photography had been Russell Elliott's pastime, and obviously he was rarely in a picture he was taking. But what if it was just a sign that her parents were never supposed to be together? Nan realised she had to stop herself from thinking like this, because if their parents were never supposed to be together, then that meant Tristan Hartley and herself were not meant to exist. They would be mistakes, loved mistakes, but mistakes nevertheless. You cannot live your life thinking you're a mistake. Yet the thought kept creeping back into her mind and buried its way in like a grub into an apple. It was a sad and silent party that made their way to bed that night, even though the little clock in the living room gently chimed ten o'clock, then eleven, then midnight. Most of the household was still awake with their thoughts to hear it. Only Hartley slept soundly and felt no loss of sleep, nor of anything else. Thank you.